the Links and Locks podcast. podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello, you beautiful degenerates, and welcome to Links and Locks, the Action Network's golf betting podcast presented by Bet365. I'm your host, Roberto Arguello, and I'm joined this week by Spencer Aguiar, whom you can find on Twitter or X at TOFSports. Excited to get the FedEx Cup fall rolling this week with the Fortinet Championship. We'll have our preview here where you can find our best bets, our outright picks, our preview of the golf course and what we're weighing in our models more than we normally would. And then we'll get through the rest of our cards before we get out of here. And the next time you'll hear us will be for the Ryder Cup in two weeks. So we're really excited to have golf back. The shortest offseason in all of professional sports is over. And just in case you're not sure what's going on with the fall schedule this year, with the tour moving to a calendar year next year, this is still the past season on the PGA Tour. And the players who are in the top 50 don't need to play all the players who made it to the BMW Championship. So everybody else will be jostling to stay in that top 125, where after the final of these seven events, that's locked in. So everybody in the top 20, 125 keeps their card from 126 to 150. You get conditional status. And then after 150, you get no status. You got to go back to Corn Ferry Tour or, or you got to go back to Q School. So Lots up in the air for these players of a lot of significance over these next seven events. It should be a lot of fun, although the depth at the bottom, not what we're used to on PGA Tour events. So that should make things a little bit different with players whom we're normally seeing in the 50 to 1 range in that 25, 30 to 1 range. Spencer Aguiar is here with me to break it all down. And one other note for the fall here, the players who finish 51st through 60th get admission into the first two signature events in 2024 so everybody who's in the top 50 not you can't jump them you can't jump into 49th even if you win this week but you can get into that top 10 for the among the fall player field and you can get into those signature events and then potentially keep staying into those signature events if you keep playing well in the new year as a reminder, the Links and Locks podcast is proudly presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION, that's A-C-T-I-O-N, to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer, bet $1 on any game, and get $365 in bonus bets. Must be 21 or older. Offers available in Colorado, New Jersey, Ohio, Virginia, and Iowa in the U.S. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. But enough talk about the FedEx Cup fall. Let's talk about this event the Fortinet Championship from Silverado Resort in Napa, California. Spencer, great to be back with you. What is your best bet for the Fortinet Championship this week? I don't really have much of a difference between my two head-to-head plays this week. You know, stay tuned later into the show to hear the second play. But for the sake of this program, let's go with JJ Spawn minus 120 over Lucas Herbert. All right. I, too, am dipping into your side of the pond with... A matchup bet and i'm gonna go we're gonna get spicy real quick here i'm going ches reavy minus 125 available on bet 365 over webb simpson oh, so before no. i slander webb simpson spencer tell me more about why you like jj spawn i'm distraught right now i don't even know if i can give an answer after hearing that we're one episode into the new season here and we're already fading webb simpson on this show but i think there's two ways to view herbert this week The first would be that his distance and putter will give you some combination of what Champ and Homa have done over the previous few years uh, during their wins. I believe there is an upside for Herbert to randomly pop onto the top 10 of the leaderboard if all works out correctly. With all that being said, I view this as a spot where there was genuine miscut equity to go along with an opponent that I could back that my model loved. Herbert graded 145th for weighted proximity, 107th for weighted scoring, and 111th for T2 green performance. Those numbers should highlight why a missed weekend would result in his fifth missed cut in seven starts. And it goes back to my point of spawn grading as one of the better values I had on the board because of his 18 straight rounds of shooting par or better. If this bet loses, I would probably expect it to fail in spectacular fashion somewhere along the lines of Herbert potentially winning this tournament coming top 10 just because he does have that upside uh, metrics that I'm looking for for this event. But 
there was ultimate safety lacking on Herbert's side that created a nice head-to-head age or edge at this price of minus one twenty. I like it a lot. I'm going to tail that one right away. So give me the first in pod play of the not new new season. It's really like redeemed yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So back to my best bet. I really like Ches Revy over Webb Simpson. I think he's a better version of Webb Simpson right now. They're both similar players who are more plotters than bombers. They're very much plotters and guys who maybe aren't in their primes a little bit over their prime past their prime, but can be really solid on approach. The difference between them right now is that Webb Simpson, much less consistent, and Ches Revy, one of the most consistent golfers on the PGA Tour. Take a look at top 50 finishes for these guys over their last 15-ish starts. Last year, Webb, being an older elder statesman, not playing as much on the PGA Tour, family man, he has top 50 finishes in three of just 16 starts last year on tour. Ches Revy played a lot more, but in his last 14 starts, he had 10 top 50 finishes. So playing significantly better, not necessarily in the same tournaments. But Revy also has a much better course history. Simpson's only played this tournament seven times, and he has four made cuts, but never finished any better than 13th. Ches Revy played this tournament 13 times, and he's made the cut 11 times. And in those 13 starts, he's gained strokes on approach 11 times, and he's gained strokes off the tee in 11 of 13 tries as well. Overall, Ches Revy just much more consistent on approach. And the fact that he's played here 13 times and Webb Simpson, who's also a veteran PGA Tour player, has played here seven times, which is not as many years nearly as he's been on the PGA Tour, tells me that Webb Simpson doesn't love this golf course and he doesn't come here unless he necessarily has to. And Ches Revy does. And even though on my outright ticket, on my outright um, card, I'd much rather have tickets on guys who are longer and have that upside to bomb and gouge and turn this course into a pitch and putt. Ches Revy still could win here. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not betting him to win outright this week, but he has a lot. He is very consistent, and I think he has a really high floor, significantly higher than Webb Simpson's. And for that reason, I am fading Webb Simpson with a guy I really like in Ches Revy. Now, Spencer, why should I not be fading Webb Simpson? So... I like review this week from a safety perspective. I, I don't disagree with you there, but I know I'm the boy who cried wolf with Webb Simpson. I, I come on every single episode and I, I try to make a case for why Webb is a good play. I do think this is a really nice course fit for him. He's been good historically on these shorter par 72s, 18th in my model and weighted strokes gain total inside the top 35 at easy courses, strokes gain total on bent plus POA greens, uh, top 20 in weighted scoring, Uh, The really big combination for me would come down to this weighted proximity that he gets from zero to 150 yards. You kind of talked a little bit about this being a bomb and gouge pitch and, you know, putt sort of contest once you get into that range there. Uh, I know Webb doesn't have the distance that you would want for that answer, but he does have the proximity and the putting ability to really spike for a course like this. So, um, You know, I'm not going to make the argument like I used to over the past two years that Webb is going to necessarily win this golf tournament, but I don't know, Roberto. I legitimately think Webb is a top 20, 25 sort of a player in this event. I'd give the same answer for Revy. Definitely think it's much safer. Uh, I can understand why Revy is the favorite there, but I am not, I'm never necessarily fading Webb, but I'm not fading Webb here either. I will add that. Webb Simpson coming off of his best finish on tour last year, the Wyndham championship. And I believe he named one of his children Wyndham (laughs) because he's had so much success. So I also wanted to fade. uh, I wanted to sell high on him relatively after that last start with some momentum. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, the thing is after he does win this tournament and he names his next kid Fortinet, then uh, (laughs) this is going to be the new event for him. Well, then maybe I'll have to name my first kid Fortinet as well. If he wins this week, we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm already uh, naming my first kid Day, so <laughs> we'll uh, we'll come back to that if needed when we go to our Ryder Cup preview in two weeks when Nick's back with us. But Spencer, let's get into your course preview for the Silverado Resort up there in Napa. We've already mentioned how maybe it is somewhat of a bomb and gouge pitch and putt. What? do you make of this golf course? Yeah, so Silverado has undergone some restorations over the years, including two notable changes from Robert Trent Jones in 1967, Johnny Miller in 2011, 
facility also had to take on some additional repairs after fires ravaged the area in 2017 and 2018. Narrow fairways have always been noticeable from a statistical perspective. We see that with players hitting the short grass only 52% of the time. I technically, you know, would say metrics of that nature will push you towards that bomb and gouge mentality. Uh, but even more so here, it's a very interesting setup, Roberto, because you get a tree line course. A lot of times that isn't necessarily bomb and gouge, but the biggest difference is you have sporadic spacing of those trees in the rough. Like if you miss to the correct side or you're not just so wayward with your first shot, you're going to have angles to the green. There's going to be some wind potential that can come into play. There's various other intangibles that will be needed to find success. I just think for a track that often struggles to find its identity, the rudimentary strategy will likely come down to total driving. That's going to be geared towards distance for all the reasons we've talked about. And then the wedge proximity from zero to 150 yards. We get a shockingly high 51.2% of shots that are projected to occur from that range. That gives us an 11.9% higher return than your average stop on tour. Don't want to make it sound as if there isn't a need to look into long iron proximity since the par three and par five holes will demand some semblance of expertise being possible if a player does want to move up the leaderboard. But we pretty much get a track that requires par saving potential on the four par three setups, the ability to make birdie or better on the four par fives, and then some combination of those two answers on your 10 par four holes that are going to primarily stretch between 350 to 450 yards. That's why we have such a heightened range there from zero to 150 yards uh, when you kind of just get that same recipe for success or that same blueprint given to you over and over again. Yeah, and building off of what you said there, most of those par fours from 350 to 450, I don't, there is not a single par four on this course that is longer than 460 yards. Whereas over the last month or so of golf that we had on the PGA Tour, the vast majority of par fours are between 400 and 520 yards. So much less of a beast this week. I know you mentioned Johnny Miller, who redesigned this course in 2011. He actually bought the course right before that and then redesigned it and wanted them to bring a major championship out to this course. Yes. Not going to be a major championship on this golf course, but keep trying there, Johnny. Um, not a major cha championship caliber with the uh, distance on these par fours, but it should be a fun test and, one other thing to add is you mentioned this is a par 72 with, par, with four par fives. It's unique that this is a par 35, then 37 on the front and back nine. So maybe there are some, are some opportunities for somebody to bet on if they have a good front nine to go even lower with those three par fives on the back nine and really take advantage of their hot plan. So just something to watch out for if you like to live bet something like first round leader or round leader in some round um, when other players have done well in the back and your guys doing well in the front. Um, Spencer, let's get into your outright betting card this week. It's a weird tournament this week since, you know, we talked about this a little bit at the start of the show, but half the field will enter the event in what I deem to be questionable form after they faltered down the stretch last season. There's only five players teeing it up inside my model that are going to find themselves averaging a finish better than 35th place over the previous 10 weeks. Uh, that's from a recalculated portion of my model. Pretty much what that means is any miscut, I end up qualifying as a flat 80th place finish. And then from there, I just ran a basic math calculation to give us a 10-week sample size from all results posted. We also had nearly 100 players that exceeded an average finish of over 60th on the leaderboard during that same time frame. All of that pushed us into this range for me where it's a watered-down field that gets even weaker the further you stretch down the board. I think there are a few ways to consider how to play a slate like that since pricing did get condensed further in a lot of spots near the top that I would have cared to see, but I decided to take an aggressive approach and target some of these 2023 standouts in this field who may have failed to get fully over the hump during the calendar season. Started with Sahith the Gala at 19 to 1. That number's been moving all over the place. It opened at 22 to 1. I know Jason Sobel and I talked about it on the gimme. He got 20 to 1. I got 19 to 1. At some books throughout the space, it's at 14 to 1 now. To me, this is one of those situations. And I don't think at 14 to 1, there's enough meat left on that bone to punch that ticket. But I think that's real credible movement that's taken place. If you shop around, you can still find a little bit better than that in the space. Um, you know, this is a golfer that I think the best way I would say this is so. You know, it's one thing when 
you look at his game and you talk about the iron play being a concern, but we get distance here and we get that occasional speed like magic where we see him getting up and down from all sorts of lies. That isn't necessarily a positive on the surface for a course like Silverado since making birdies and bunches is a prerequisite to finding high-end success. Still, there's something to be said about the Gala's distance plus nature that will allow more room off the tee since players only do hit the short grass 52% of the time. Uh, that shifts into that bomb and gouge mentality that I talked about. It, it gives us a possibility here for him to be a little bit more wayward off the tee. And then the biggest difference goes back to that 0 to 150 yard proximity mark. The Gala's iron play is very questionable. But from that 0 to 150 range, I got an 87 spot improvement for him in weighted proximity. That helped to create a straightforward narrative of scoring potential that ran rampant inside of my model for a golfer that's finished inside the top 15 here in two of the past three years. You know, Roberto on this next one, this has kind of been one of the players that I am on quite frequently. I took Steven Yeager at 30 to 1 on bet 365 early on Monday. Uh, that shifted the 27 to 1. It's a, in the 25 to 1 range right now at a lot of shops. But Jaeger's driver turned into a massive weapon during the season because of his added distance throughout the year. My model seemed to believe that he was the top projected scorer when recalculating these 18 holes here at Silverado. And then the current tee to green production over the last 24 rounds also landed him on top of all entrants in this field. It's going to come down to the putter. The putter does not find success. And that's what we continue to run into problems here with, with Jaeger. Yeah, the bet is not going to win and he won't have the outright. But what I really liked is you put him on a fast, firm sort of surface. I'm not saying we're necessarily going to get that there. You talked about Johnny Miller wanting to turn this into a major. I don't think that this course can. But if you want to show that, you have to make this course a little firmer and faster at some point. I don't know if he necessarily can get it as enough to make this, you know, get into the number that he would need here. But if we can get this in that 14, 15, 16 under range, I do think that helps a player like Jaeger in that regard. I took JJ Spawn at 40 to 1. Spawn ranked third this week when performing at easy scoring venues and generated a tournament leading 18 straight rounds of shooting par or better when running the data over the last 10 events. You know, we've had a couple week break here. You could say that that hurts a player like Spawn and even Thagala to an extent that they had to take time off as their games were starting to really click here. But, um, you know, Spawn kind of hit that mark across the board for me. I, I think there's hidden potential because of the propensity to score on the par four holes between 400 to 450 yards. And then I don't know your outright card yet, Roberto. We have talked about this player so frequently. We've been saying that the fall is the time to bet him. Kevin Yu at 80 to 1. I, I'm not necessarily sure that this is the best tournament for him. He loses some of his long iron proximity. And on top of that, I'm not quite so sure he understands that the goal is to make the putt when he gets an attempt. I've never seen somebody create so many looks and miss so many opportunities as you has the last couple of weeks, but I'll continue betting on the ball striking at these heightened numbers. Since my model continues to believe this is a 40 to one talent in these sorts of a field that is almost doubled or tripled every single time he's teeing it up. I a hundred percent agree. He should be four year one this week. And that's why I've got him on my outright card. And I also have bet him at seven to one for a top 10. You can also find him out there in for top 10 at, plus 600 in markets that pay all ties in full. So also worth looking at if you have access to those markets. But like you said, Kevin, you, the ball striking is sublime. Uh, third in strokes gain off the tee so far this season on the PGA Tour. And not only is he a bomber ranking 27th in driving distance, but he's also relatively accurate in 41st in driving accuracy. So fourth in total driving by the PGA Tour's metric and seventh in strokes gain tee to green. The big question is, can he get the ball in the cup once he gets the flat stick in hand? 178th in strokes gain putting. If the PGA Tour puts him on uh, feature groups, I'll be watching every single shot of his this week. Uh, very excited for him. And given that these fields normally in the fall, you've got the rookies from the Corn Ferry Tour playing and then a handful of guys every week who are pretty solid. Now, with there being no reason to start in the fall for a lot of the players who ranked in the top 50, during last year or this season on the PGA Tour, unless you're Max Homa and you want to defend your championship, the fields are going to be a lot less deep. And that means a guy like Kevin Yu, if he if he spikes, there are way fewer players who can get into that top tier on the leaderboard. So I really like him in upside markets. So I'm going to be betting him for top 10 just about every week here in the fall. And it um, doesn't really matter which golf course for the most part, unless we see him dip into that 40 to 1 range, in which case we'll have to think about it a little bit more.
But one thing I did like about Kevin Yu as well, um, last year, he gained strokes here off the tee on approach and around the green. He's got two missed cuts here and two starts, but last year he had his worst ever putting performance of his young PGA Tour career. So hopefully that doesn't happen again. But Kevin Yu, we're all in on him throughout the fall. So when the markets open up on Monday morning, you can guarantee Spencer and I will be looking for Kevin Yu as soon as possible. And then I've got two more plays on my outright card. I really like the Thiala play. If you got him in that 20 to 1 range, I got to call the BMW Championship and he was in one of our feature groups and he's got that ball striking upside. You mentioned that on approach, it's not always consistent, but he does have upside and especially in this in this 150 yard and in range, which will be heightened in importance this week. So really like that play. Uh, didn't get it to jump on him early, so I'm going to let it slide at 15-ish to 1. But my other two plays, let's start with Taylor Pendrith. Big buy low spot for him. I think that unlike some players who had form last year and or had form this past summer and the break might hurt them, Taylor Pendrith might need this break more than just about anybody else. He's super talented off the tee, and he's been consistent off the tee. The approach play has not been what it was back in 2022, and the putter's kind of always an adventure with him as well. But he did flash some form at the end of the summer last year in July when he finished in a, tee for, in a tie for 14th at the Rocket Mortgage, which is somewhat of a similar course here, and then also 6th at the Barbasol. Once again, opposite field event in the Barbasol, so not great competition, but still just good to see him playing solid golf. He's made the cut both times here in Napa and has gained off the tee both times as well. So he'll give himself chances with his strong play off the tee. That's just what's he going to do from there. It could be a roller coaster. Not a very safe play, but that's why I'm betting him just in the outright market for upside. And then one other guy whom I really like this week, Akshay Batia at 40 to 1 on bet 365. He's someone that I thought should have been around 25-ish to 1. And he already has a win on the PGA Tour this season. And that came in... California as well in the Lake Tahoe area. So don't have data from that tournament, unfortunately, but we assume that he putted really well and he had to make about a 12 footer to get into the playoff with Patrick Rogers and did make that putt and then took advantage of a bad break for Patrick Rogers in the playoff. But Akshay Batia is a bomber who has become more accurate off the tee over the last six months than he's ever been before. And he's got really high upside on approach as well. And, He's played this tournament twice, and we mentioned the putter is one of the bigger question marks with him, but he gained strokes putting in both appearances here. So perhaps he likes that POA bumpy surface more than other players, or maybe it suits his game more. And also last year, or last time he played here was in 2021, and he gained strokes in all facets, off the tee, on approach, around the green, and putting. So I really like this fit for Akshay Batia, where he can take advantage of his length, and he's relatively accurate with his length. And he's got upside on approach as well. So really like Akshay, Akshay Batia this week. And I think you can bet him in a majority of markets as well. Almost bet him in some matchups, but I'm holding off on that for now. Yeah, I very much considered Akshay Batia. I ended up going with JJ Spawn over him. That was the very last cut that I made was Batia. But if you look at his statistical profile here, he joined Cameron Davis, Max Homan, Justin Thomas as the only other players to crack the top 15 inside my model for total driving and proximity to mimic Silverado here. So I think it's a really nice spot for Batia. Now, the Taylor Pendrith play, I, I am afraid he's broken. And I, I want to preface that with, yes. But I want to say one thing about it. So when I ran a model last year for this event, and I just brought it up because when you mentioned the name, I remember, like I have a good memory on things. And I remember that he was up there either one, two or three in my model last year. So I want to see exactly where my model had him. When I ran this tournament for 2020, number one was Max Homa. Number two was Taylor Pendrith. Number three was Cameron Davis. Four was Sahit Tagala. Five was Hideki Matsuyama. All of a sudden now Pendrith is not performing. And, you know, now you're getting some of these heightened numbers in space. If you believe that he can turn his game around, he has this skill set here to make it work. Maybe the couple weeks off for him is what he needed to get back on track. Always been a believer in his game. Really like the distance that he brings for this event. Think it's a good setup if he can get back on track. Um, I, I think with him, it would be an all or nothing sort of play. So I'm talking about outrights. I'm talking about top 10 sort of wagers. I'm not playing him in a matchup. I'm not playing him as a top 40. 
I think he has massive missed cut potential, which we've seen recently, but you can shoot for the moon on players like him when the upside is worth, like the juice is worth the squeeze there. So um, I I like Pendrith. I'm worried that he misses the cut again, but I I think there's a lot of upside to be found. So the outright bet is kind of the perfect way to attack that. I thought that betting him was like a way of betting a cheaper Davis Thompson, who is in the 45 to one range. He's a guy who's also very strong off the tee and, Davis Thompson is better than Taylor Pendrith has been this past season on the PGA Tour on approach. And they both flashed upside, and the putter is always an adventure. But with Davis Thompson being 45 to 1, I thought Taylor Pendrith was somebody else who could have that upside this week uh, at a little bit more palatable price. Uh, Wanted to ask you about one more guy uh, whose upside intrigues me a lot, and that's Taylor Montgomery. Only two players beat him here last year in his first ever PGA Tour event. And we know the putter for him is awesome. He's already a top 10 putter on the PGA Tour. The question with him is the iron play. We know he's a bomber off the tee, really struggled over the last few months of the season to find fairways as well. Although in the fall when he was putting together those top 15 seemingly every single week, uh, when I look here, I think it was 9 out of 10 of the first starts for him on the PGA Tour. He was in the top 15, so just pretty ridiculous start for him, which was buoyed by a hot driver and a hot putter. Do you think this time off maybe helps him out and gives him some upside uh, potential this week? Or is he somebody you're staying away from because of all of the consistently poor approach play? I don't know if it helps him necessarily. It's always a person-by-person situation. You, You never know how somebody's going to react to time off. You take somebody like me, I'd probably be better off playing through my struggles and getting back on track. Uh, I think taking time off would make a situation worse. I don't know how he's going to handle the situation. I think above anything else, though, you do kind of have to like this course fit for him if you do believe he's going to turn it around. Uh, Massive increases in my model and weighted proximity from that 0 to 150 range. 48th in my model um, over a two-year perspective. When you just run all baseline proximity numbers, he's 120th overall, so... Massive jump in with him in that regard. He's going to have that at least enough distance to talk that we're talking about here. He's inside the top 40 of my model for distance. Great putter, kind of that like boom or bust nature at this course. And there's a, he's not the only one. There's a lot of guys and some have better form than others who carry that exact skill set of distance and putting. Like there's a Bo Hostler, there's him. Um, there's a handful of other names that we could talk about to where like Lucas Herbert, I'm fading him this week, but he has that same skill set that he at least has upside if he puts the distance and putting together. So I do think one of them will find success of all those names that I've made Mm -hmm. in a head to head perspective. I'm going to be out on every single one of those names that we talked about. We're talking about upside markets. Um, I mean, I'm still out on Herbert, I guess, but uh, when we're talking about uh, Montgomery here, I do think it makes a lot of sense to consider him for a top 10 sort of wager or something of that nature. I'll also add that while he putted well on a variety of surfaces, he was really good on POA and he also had his best week putting on the PGA tour so far in his young career at the Fortinet last week, the last season as well. Sorry, just really quickly. Number five in my model, when you take all of these par four ranges that are primarily going between that, you know, 350 to 450 mark. So there's a lot of those scorable opportunities that make sense for him. So Max Homa has a chance to become the first two-time winner on the PGA Tour in the same event in one season if he wins this week. We haven't mentioned him yet. He's in the 7-1 to range in the outright market. What did you make proper for Max Homa? Are there any ways you're looking to back or fade him this week? I'm not looking to fade him. Um, Proper from an outright, like, I'm not going to bet... I'm never rare. I'm rarely going to bet anybody that is under 10 to one. And I mean, a lot of times we're talking about that answer with Scotty Scheffler or John Rom. You know, I think a true mathematical answer does put this somewhere in like the 10 to 12 to one range of what I had proper. I would probably still want more than that. I really like Homa as a player. I think it's a good course fit for him. He's number one in my model. He's the top projected win equity player that I have, but you know, I would want to be able to reap some of that, 
if you want to call it a mispricing, which we're never going to get when he's the back-to-back champion, like I would want the 14 to one number that, you know, Justin Thomas opened up at to where like, that would be my buy-in point that at 14 to one, I might've considered just rebuilding this whole card and just having a max Homa ticket and calling it a day. But, uh, you know, that's kind of where I had problems with this board in a lot of ways with it is the bottom is so weak. The top, a lot of these players are priced up further than you normally would get in, a, in, in most of these situations. I think it's warranted in a lot of these spots, but it's just tough. Like you have to pick and choose your situations. You can't bet everybody. So mm-hmm. just by a nature of the business, I wasn't going to bet Max Home at seven to one. If he comes out and he wins and he goes back to back to back here, I'm not going to be shocked if that outcome comes into play, but I think there's a lot of players that are very close to him, including a Justin Thomas, that this is a really nice opportunity for him to find success. I can't get there at the 14 to one number, but if you could have given me something more in like that, the gala open at 22 to one, we would have had a different game to talk about there. No doubt about it. And as Max Homa goes for the Turkey this week, coming in with some strong form, top 12 finishes in each of his last five starts, uh, highlighted by a T5 at the BMW Championship in the FedEx Cup playoffs. So a lot to like for Homa. I also agree that this is a pretty decent fit for Justin Thomas as well. So I'll be interested to see how he does this week before he gets ready for the Ryder Cup in a fortnight after the Fortinet. Um, Spencer, let's get through the rest of your card this week. Who you got? So I only have two finishing position bets. Uh, that's going to be over on the bet 365 board there. Uh not going to get too much into top 40s to begin this year. I think we've had a couple week break. Also made a few changes to my model that I wanted to run and kind of back test before I threw it into the mix here. Didn't necessarily love how some of those placement bets were going for me this year. A lot of success in the head to heads, not as much success as I would want on these placement bets. So don't want to just keep throwing money at a board where something feels like it's been wrong from a statistical perspective of how I'm building it. But I, from the, Finishing position side, Garrick Higo, 51st or better, minus 120. And then Cameron Champ, 50 or worse at minus 120. Uh, very quickly touch on both of those. Like, despite the shaking, shaky iron play from Higo, he's still great at 15th when adding distance and weighted proximity together. I, I We've talked about it with the goal. We've talked about it with some other players. That ability to be able to spray the ball off the tee can be a good thing. I think we're going to get the opposite of that answer when we talk about Cameron Champ in one second. but considered betting Higo as an outright couldn't necessarily get there. Do like the safety that we've gotten from him recently. I know historically he's been a golfer that has been boomer bust. We've seen some of that turn around. Um, I have a friend of a friend of a friend who has said that he was dealing with some injury stuff at the beginning of uh, the 2023 year. Seems like he is over that now. It looks like that from a statistical perspective. It looks like that from the results that he's putting together. So if there was something that was holding him back, we have gotten over that. The results have come through. And then just when we look at Cameron Champ here, like I understand how he won this tournament a few years ago. It's that recipe for success that we keep talking about. Find me the guy with distance that can get hot with a putter potentially, even if they're not the greatest putter. And if you can put that together, that's how you can win this tournament. Now, there are a lot of problems with the way Cameron Champ has been playing over the last year or two. 135th place rank in my sheet uh, for weighted strokes gain total. Uh, 248th place marks. This would be separate categories here from par four scoring between 400 to 450 yards. It's the key range we keep talking about. And the weighted proximity from zero to 150 yards. It's a reason why those two things coincide together. Uh, those red flags were just too extreme for a player in a market like this. I think that some of that win in 2019, I believe it was, is getting baked into this total here. I think without that victory, we're probably looking at, I don't know, an over under in the sixties compared to what it is. Like there's a lot of missed cut equity. It doesn't mean that camp, that champ can't find success. It doesn't mean that he can't post a top 50 finish. It doesn't mean that he doesn't get something here at this course, but I'm going to take what I deem to be a mispricing and you know, I would have posted this 15 spots higher than what we had it. I thought minus 120 was a good total there. So that's all for the placement side. And then the last bet I have, I obviously talked about JJ Spawn over uh, Lucas Herbert. Uh, Nate Lashley, minus 120 over MJ Duffy. A lot of the same things that I keep talking about with these players of, 
you getting the spike in what a player has done recently comes into play here with Duffy. And you can make the same argument about Lashley, but there's one counterpoint I want to make to that why I think it's different. So Duffy had this hot run of six consecutive made cuts before missing the weekend to end his season at the Wyndham Championship. I do think a lot of that stretch, as I said, is being baked into this price. He's failed to finish better than 72nd place in two tries at this course. If you dive into his history here, you will see that last year's performance, and this is a very similar answer that you just gave with Kevin Yu. Uh, he lost 7.2 shots at the field with his putter. That's not something that I would expect to happen again, but it just comes down to this combination of poor weight of proximity since he loses most of his better ranges from outside of 150 yards. That caused him to fall 59 spots in my projection inside the model. And then this long-term return of faulty performances on scorable courses. I think that's much less indicative of, of a thing like, I mean, I have a very small weight there. Like I would be lying if I didn't say I looked at it somewhat, but you know, I don't think how somebody performs at an easy course necessarily tells the entire picture. I do think it's important to look at certain venues. If it's very difficult or very easy, there are players who just have a better prototypical game that will find success there. I think a guy like, even if we're making that argument to go back to the Taylor Montgomery answer, very good birdie maker. If he could find success at a birdie course, this is kind of like the ideal outcome for him to do it. Didn't necessarily get that number with Duffy the way that I wanted. I trusted Lashley's current form of nine made cuts and 11 starts. Uh, the statistical profile was a lot higher than I got from Duffy. So uh, those are my two head-to-heads. The outright card I talked about, the placement bets. And, you know, unless I find something in the head-to-head -head market from a full tournament perspective, that will probably be the end of the card for me. And then whatever I'm able to find for round one and, and kind of continue that run that we've been able to put together in the last couple of years in the in-tournament sector. And that's stuff that you'll be able to find over at Action Network when I write those articles this week. A couple of things that stood out to me about your most recent comments. Duffy has lost strokes on approach in each of his last 11 track tournaments. So it makes a lot of sense to want to, tar to target him. And uh, he's a bomber and Lashley's a plotter. So interesting that we actually get a matchup available between those two different types of players when don't normally get that. And then Garrick Higo, 51st or better, was actually the first bet that missed my card. So I'm popping it back into my card. So thank you for that. I like Garrick Higo. Hadn't heard about the injury stuff. So that's interesting. And know that he has been working with the new coach and that's helped a lot with his driving. So I like Garrick Higo. Uh, the approach play was kind of what scared me off. I also was considering him for an outright, but I wasn't quite sure what to do with that. And one of the first questions I was going to ask you after we got through our cards was about Garrick Higo. So glad we went through that, read my mind. I'm in on Garrick Higo 50 for, 51st or better. Looking at the rest of my card, I mentioned I have Kevin Yu plus 700 for 10th or better. And then I've also got one last play, and that's on your boy Steven Yeager over Bo Hostler at minus 125. You pretty much teed me up on this one perfectly, where you mentioned that guys like Bo Hostler, who drive the ball really well and putt really well, have upside, but don't want to back them, especially in markets with safety because of the roller coaster on approach. And that's exactly why I'm betting Jaeger over Hostler. They're comparable off the tee and on the greens, but Jaeger is a much better player on approach. And he's really a player who doesn't have any holes right now. He just hasn't contended for a PGA Tour championship yet. So people don't have him, I think, in the right tier when they're pricing him. And I like that we can get him against Bo Hostler for pretty much even money at minus 125 on bet 365. And also, Hostler's strong history at this golf course has really been buoyed by a strong putter. He's got three straight top 25s here, but he's lost strokes on approach in five of his six starts at this tournament. So if the putter isn't extremely hot for Bo Hostler, he, his floor is pretty low here. So I like Steven Yeager. I think he's a better overall golfer. The fit does help Bo Hostler a little bit, but I think there's going to be some regression on the greens for him. And wanted to workshop one more bet with you. I didn't necessarily want to back him in this market because there has been about a month off for him, but Mark Hubbard, 50th or better. He is a short hitter who's strong everywhere else. He's played relatively well in this golf course, went to college at San Jose State, so he should be very comfortable on these point of greens. What do you think about him in the 50th or better market? I guess my only concern would just be the current form that he had before this. It's kind of what we keep talking about, that there are so many unknowns of how a player is going to react to time off. Uh, 23rd in my model from an overall rank sense, even from a safety perspective, he was 25th overall, which I think the key to that answer, 
and, and that's because it liked him so much from a statistical perspective. Like if you look at what he has done recently, uh, I'll read these off very quickly. At the St. Jude, 66, miscut at the Wyndham, miscut at the 3M, obviously a 10th place finish before that. But a lot of times inside of my model, that would really hurt. So, and, and specifically too, I looked at some of those more recent results more than ever. Like I always run a, a weighted calculation uh, when I look at uh, current form and I went even more so over those like last five weeks of tournaments. I expected that to hurt a player like Hubbard from a safety perspective more than it did. I was surprised to see him land inside the top 25 for me. I think that's an interesting uh, reason to like him in the bet that you had. I still have concerns just because of what we've seen, but yeah, like him, Revy, players like that, and it doesn't mean that they can't win, but players like that, I think that they're more likely to be the guys who come in like 22nd place than the player who necessarily wins the tournament. I still think that whoever ends up winning this has some combination of distance and gets mm -hmm. super hot with the putter. Um, I think markets like a finishing position, a top 40, some of these head-to-head -head bets, it's kind of one of the reasons why I took Lashley there too. I think those are much, and even, I know Higo has that distance, but that's kind of the reason why I've gone in some of those directions for some of those plotters like a Hubbard, as you did with a Revy. Uh, mm -hmm. I still like Webb Simpson for that reason, but uh, I don't know if those guys can necessarily win this tournament at the prices that you have to pay. But for a finishing position bet, sure, it, it makes sense. For Hubbard, top 21 finishes in three of his last four starts here all within the last four years. So I think that really tempted me. But the recent form you mentioned with those two missed cuts and the T66 at the FedEx St. Jude ultimately made me lay off. And I think I'm still going to lay off. And that's why I like the Revy bet over Simpson a little bit more than this bet. Um, so I'm going to lay off Mark Hubbard 50th or better, but maybe we find a chance to back him in the tournament somehow, uh, maybe in a match matchup against some other player for one round. Um, I could see that definitely being something I have noticed historically over the last year. I've had a lot of one day matchups with Mark Hubbard. I, I think he's consistently priced in the wrong tier. It'll be interesting to see if that happens again. Wanted to get your thoughts on a couple other players whom we haven't mentioned. Not going to go completely down the board like we'd normally do in our rapid fire segment, but Doug Gim, guy who's playing really consistent golf before the mini off season. Any thoughts on Doug Gim this week? I do have thoughts on Doug Gim. If you know, he has been a golfer that has been so volatile over the last couple of years. He closed the season with eight made cuts in nine starts. That was highlighted by seven results landing in the top thirty-five of those fields. If the often boom or bust profile has become steadier for him, he does have a lot of playability in, in any market, including DFS here. So uh, my model really liked him. I, I think you can consider him on bet 365. I, I don't remember exactly what the over under was for him. I think it was 46th or 47th. Uh, that was like the first bet for me that missed my card um, that I was going to take him better than 46th or better than 47th. Um, 45th. I, or so it's moved, a moved a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's correct movement. And I, I would be curious to compare that to some of his top 40 prices to see how big of a discrepancy that there is right now in the market there. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's kind of the range where I would expect him to be able to, if he puts together another one of those steady finishes, like top 15 for me in pretty much every iteration of how I ran my model, going to be very popular this week for, for DFS. Um, maybe this is more so the way that you want to get exposure to him just if everybody's going to play him because I still worry. There's still part of me, and that's the reason why I didn't play Higo and Gim together here. Like, I know the results have been promising recently. I still worry that we we go backwards at some point and the volatile nature of both of those two guys comes back to the forefront here because that's the most dangerous thing, Roberto, as a gambler, is any single time that you overreact to how somebody has been performing, you always end up jumping into a market that has already moved against you. And that's yeah. when you get wrong prices, you overpay for some of these things, you lose your built-in ROI that you were getting. Like It was one thing for anybody out there who jumped on Doug Gim when he was you know, two to one or above to land in the top 40. It's another now when you're, and I don't have the exact price up in front of me right now, but I'm going to assume based off of this, he's probably in that plus 100 to like plus 120 range. Mm -hmm. It's a much different bet at that number there. So 
I would just be very cognizant of that factor and know that you're still buying into a volatile golfer, even though my model does like him a lot. Completely agree with all that. What else do you think about Eric Cole? <sighs> Eric Cole is the guy that my model can't ever seem to get off of every single week. Tenth in my model for weighted scoring. Uh, the metrics always look very stout across the board just because he is such a great iron player with the ability to make putts. I do think that this wide open nature here probably helps him a little bit off the tee. We've talked a lot about him not being necessarily long, not necessarily being straight, kind of having some problems with the driver there. If this is just some wide open venue, I, I don't know if he necessarily has enough distance to win this event, but I'll say this, Roberto, the upside numbers in my model, despite all that, still really liked him. And uh, like, I didn't get there on an outright ticket, 80th in distance, 95th for accuracy, 94th overall when I looked for um, that weighted total driving mark. But big increases when you throw in the proximity marks there. I still think he's another golfer too. We've talked about that a lot with Jaeger, and I think Jaeger has more upside. I think Cole gets disrespected most weeks in, in, in a lot of these markets. So unlike Jaeger, who finished 56 in the FedEx Cup standings, who needs to continue playing well and stay in that top 10 among the players who did not make the BMW Championship, Eric Cole did make the BMW Championship. He doesn't need to play in the fall because he's already into those signature events. He's playing here because A, the he's dude plays golf every week. Yeah. He is crazy good at golf. He knows he's really good at golf. He want, He's just a competitor. I love Eric Cole. I love everything about him, except for sometimes seeing a little bit too much of his ankles. But overall. <laughs> He's a dog, and if he wasn't playing this week in this tournament, he'd be playing in some other minor league professional tour event, uh, probably somewhere in Florida. He is a Sunshine Tour legend. So interesting that he's playing this event. Probably tells me that he likes the golf course. Uh, so who knows? I'll probably try to find, find a way to back him at some point uh, before Thursday. And one other uh, player I wanted to touch on is Justin Suh. We haven't talked about him yet today. Uh, I'll get you out of here on Justin Suh. Any thoughts about him or ways you might want to back him or fade him? I, I don't know if there's any, I, I don't know if I'm going to have any exposure to him in, in general. Um, a very fringe top 30 player for me inside of my model. Technically, that would make him slightly overpriced. I think in the ideal matchup, which I have not seen the ideal matchup, maybe you could convince me, like, like if I'm directly comparing names here, like we'll just, We'll go to players that I think are, are very similar in prices here. I would rather play Akshay Batia, Taylor Montgomery, maybe not from a head-to-head -head answer there, but if I'm shooting for upside, I guess I'd rather go that route. Like I, I think he's better than Lucas Herbert. I think he's kind of in that range of a Webb Simpson, Ches Reeve to where I would not be shocked if he made the cut, or i I would expect him to make the cut, I guess would be the better way to word that. But as I said, a fringe top 30-ish player, um, not necessarily enough for me to want to get exposure to him, though. He's kind of just one of those guys who's there. I like that it's in California. Maybe that helps him a little bit. Like a, a lot of these players like that, that are used to the surfaces here, like, like a Bo Hostler. And that's my only concern with fading Hostler in any extent of that uh, word there is that you throw them into California, you do get heightened upside with some of these putting abilities. And Suh's an incredible putter. Hostler's an incredible putter. Uh, it's not going to be some massive aberrational result if Suh and Hostler go like 1-2 and <laughs> gain seven strokes with their putter. I mean, and I'm talking about from like a putting perspective. They're not necessarily to win the event, but if they're like 1-2 with each gaining over seven strokes, I think that's definitely something that can come into play. So... I'm not looking to take any of those guys on for that reason. I'm not necessarily looking to back a Justin sub, but uh, that would be my two cents on the situation. I know that when I talked to Jason Sobel, he really likes Sub this week. I have some other people that I respect that were on Sub also. Uh, probably just not going to be for me because I didn't have enough upside in my model. Yeah, I don't love the ball striking numbers for him, but the putting numbers, the man could be putting on the moon. It doesn't matter. He's going to make putts. Uh, but on POA specifically, really strong last year, looking at between the Amex and the Genesis Invitational, really strong run of three events right there. Uh, incomplete information on the Amex and the Farmers Insurance Open because of the rotations in those golf courses uh, between different courses that we don't have data on. But he played well in all those tournaments. So really strong putter. Also wanted to add on Eric Cole, kind of lost my train of thought. He was the only player who finished in the top 50 of the FedEx Cup standings in this past season who was below average in both driving distance and driving accuracy. Just a, 
so it's just a testament to how solid the rest of his game is and uh, just how he grinds out rounds on a weekly basis. Uh, really impressed by him. Big fan of his. Yeah, uh, if you get rid of a lot of those driving totals with him, like like if we're just comparing him specifically in this field, it, I run my model, if anybody uses it, in like bright blue for the best players with their ranks to dark red for the players that are the worst. It's essentially just bright blue across the board until you get to some of these driving numbers and then it's as dark of red as you can find in it. But I think that kind of shows what Eric Cole is as a player. He's immaculate in every sense of the game that does not involve the driver. And my hope would be that one of these wide open natures like this propels him for a tournament. As I said, couldn't figure out a way that I wanted to bet him. Maybe that ends up coming from a head to head answer. Uh, maybe from an in-tournament perspective here, we'll see where he's priced and what players he's against. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot to like about Eric Cole. Like markets are still too low on him. As a reminder, the Links and Locks podcast is proudly presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION, that's A-C-T-I-O-N, to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer, bet $1 on any game, and get $365 in bonus bets. Must be 21 or older. Offers available in Colorado, New Jersey, Ohio, Virginia, and Iowa in the U.S. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. That bonus, by the way, up from $200 in our past episode to $365. Bucks, so be sure to take advantage of that. Spencer, where else can the people find you this week? Hey, you can find me on Twitter or on X at Tee-Off Sports. That still feels weird to say it in that way. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have, as I talked about, a round one article that will come up out over on Action Network on Wednesday. Did the gimme this week with Jason Sobel over here on Action Network. You, a lot of the plays we talked about here, a little bit different reasons for why I gave some of those plays. So if you want like a secondary deep dive into those plays, you can figure out why I'm on those. And then as always, if you want to use my model, if you want to look at my model, if you ever want to run any of those numbers for yourself, I have my own database that I release over at Rotoballer. It's my prize and jewel of everything that I run every single week. So be sure, be sure to check that out if you haven't already. It's super cool and you can adjust the weighting as well. So I highly recommend it. Uh, it's very much worth the money. And I know Nick also built his own model on top of what you put out there. So it's really valuable for all of us here as well. Um, Nick's not here this week, but you can find him on Twitter at six picks that sticks with an X. He's got a bunch of NFL stuff going on and he's also going to be diving back in for the Ryder Cup pod with us in two weeks. So very much excited to have him and be sure to check out his stuff there on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Roberto8213. I'll have a first round leader article coming on action tomorrow. And then I will also be hopping in on some best bets for college football. Uh, my Cardinal are hosting an FCS team this week in Sacramento State where we just hired our coach from. So hopefully they get lines up on that in the next in the next couple of days so I can get those out before Saturday because FCS lines have not been going out until Saturday mornings a lot this year. So be sure to check that out. Stay tuned for Action Network for all of your gambling needs, whether it's uh, the NFL, PGA Tour, college football, a bunch of great stuff uh, from our crew, making everybody money in all types of markets. So be sure to check it out. want to give a huge shout out and thank you to everyone who makes this podcast possible, especially our producers, Noah, Sophia, and Matt. And here's to hoping that our picks age like fine wine this weekend in Napa. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.